You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. And so because I don't know what's around the corner, down the block, I can't see into the future, it is better simply to turn my life over to God who does have those capacities. In fact, in the book of Psalms, we are told that we spend, as far as God is concerned, we spend our day as a tale that's been told. There's no surprises with God. When things are unfolding before our eyes in the present, God sees as if it's already happened in the past. Sometimes it would be nice to know the future, wouldn't it? Not so you could make lots of money on the Super Bowl, but so you could avoid that car accident. It seems like that would take a lot of stress out of your life, too. Sadly, that isn't the way this world works. But the great thing about being a follower of God, as you'll learn in Pastor Mike's teaching today, is that you have access to the one who does know the future. Not only that, but he wants to help you and guide you through this crazy life. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Genesis chapter 24 as he begins his message, Being Led by God. is a part of our Origins series, Studies in the Book of Genesis, and this is one of the most significant texts found anywhere in the Bible, because it has to do with the subject of being led by God. And isn't that one of the perks of being a Christian, a child of God, that we have the promise and hope of, in fact, being led by Him? What a comfort and encouragement that is. And so we're going to study Genesis chapter 24, and we're going to take a big chunk out of that chapter, verses 1 through 27. And again, this message, the title is Being Led by God. So let's go ahead and read that text of scripture, Genesis chapter 24, and then I'll share some of the events that are being described for us. So chapter 24, beginning in verse 1. Now Abraham was old, well advanced in age, And the Lord had blessed Abraham in all things. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over all that he had, please put your hand under my thigh, and I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife from my son, from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. But you shall go to my country and to my family, and take a wife for my son Isaac. And the servant said to him, Perhaps the woman will not be willing to follow me to this land. 
Must I take your son back to the land from which you came? But Abraham said to him, Beware that you do not take my son back there. The Lord God of heaven, who took me from my father's house and from the land of my family, and who spoke to me and swore to me, saying, To your descendants I give this land, he will send his angel before you, and you shall take a wife for my son from there. And if the woman is not willing to follow you, then you will be released from this oath. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of Abraham his master and swore to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and departed, for all his master's goods were in his hand. And he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city of Nahor. And he made his camels kneel down outside the city by a well of water at evening time, the time when women go out to draw water. And then he said, O Lord God of my master Abraham, please give me success this day and show kindness to my master Abraham. Behold, now I stand by the well of water and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Now let it be that the young woman to whom I say, please let down your pitcher that I may drink. And she says, drink, and I will also give your camels a drink. Let her be the one you have appointed for your servant Isaac. And by this I will know that you have shown kindness to my master. And it happened before he had finished speaking that, behold, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother, came out with her pitcher on her shoulder. Now the young woman was very beautiful to behold, a virgin, and no man had known her. And she went down to the well, filled her pitcher, and came up, and the servant ran to meet her and said, Please let me drink a little water from your pitcher. And so she said, Drink, my lord. Then she quickly let her pitcher down to her hand and gave him a drink. And when she had finished giving him a drink, she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. Then she quickly emptied her pitcher into the trough, ran back to the well to draw water, and drew for all his camels. And the man wondering at her remained silent so as to know whether the Lord had made his journey prosperous or not. And so it was when the camels had finished drinking that the man took a golden nose ring weighing a half a shekel and two bracelets for her wrists, weighing ten shekels of gold, and said, Whose daughter are you? Tell me, please. Is there room in your father's house for us to lodge? And she said to him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, Milcah's son, whom she bore to Nahor. Moreover, she said to him, We have both straw and feed enough and room to lodge. Then the man bowed down his head and worshipped the Lord, and he said, Blessed be the Lord God of my master Abraham, who has not forsaken his mercy and his truth toward my master. As for me, being on the way, the Lord led me to the house of my master's brethren. Father, we pray now that you'd bless the remainder of our time together as we treat this text of Scripture. Lord, teach us, Lord, how to be led by you. Lord, that we might always just be in the center of your will, your perfect will for our lives, and therefore receive all of the blessings that you intended to impart to your children. Lord, do a work here in this place. Teach us and guide us, Lord, through this text of Scripture. God, help us to learn all of the lessons contained within it. God, we thank you. Now, Lord, settle our hearts. Help us to thoroughly enjoy the remainder of our time together. 
Lord, speak to each one in a matter-of-fact and personal way. God, let my words be your words. We thank you again, for we ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So once again, this message, being led by God. And again, that's the subject that we're treating. Now, before we actually get into this, and I share a couple of introductory thoughts with you, let me also say that this is sort of a message like the one that I shared with you last time that is in certain types here in the Bible. Remember last time together in the offering up by Abraham of his son Isaac in that pageant that was played out in our text that we treated last time together, Abraham becomes a type of God the Father and Isaac became a type of God the Son. And we talked about that. It was actually a pageant that was being played out for us in our study last time together. Now, in chapter 24, we have another symbolic record recorded for us. And in this text of scripture, think about this. Abraham's servant becomes a type of the Holy Spirit seeking to draw out from the world a bride for Abraham's son, Isaac, who has become in our typology a type of Jesus Christ. So I want you to think about that. And isn't that true today? Isn't that even the work and the ministry and the operation of the Holy Spirit working in the world today? Specifically working in this place, seeking to draw out a bride for God's only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that what the church is? Isn't that what the church represents? We are the bride of Christ. So in this typology here, the servant becomes a type of the Holy Spirit. Isaac becomes a type of Jesus Christ. And the goal is to draw out a bride for God's Son. And that's who we are, the bride of Christ. Now, let me begin by saying, I believe that it is our desire, and I'm sure for those of us who, in fact, have taken the name of Christ and are born again, that this would be one of your desires in your Christian experience, that is to be led by God. It's a good desire to discover that leading according to God's plan and will for our lives. That desire is good. It's wise because we're smart enough to realize that we don't know enough to guide ourselves. I mean, think about it. How many times in the past that when we were so sure that we were right about a certain issue, we even approached it having the right attitude, but only to find out how really wrong we were. Have you ever been in that situation before? You thought you got a green light. Everything seemed to line up exactly the way that you thought it should line up. And you thought, man, this is definitely God's leading, God's blessing. And so you jump in only to find out that you were so wrong. Anybody? Or am I the only blockhead here? I think all of us have been there at one time or another. And even when we approach it, when we even have the right attitude, we might even been thinking, you know, I'm going to do this for the glory of God. But you know what? We misunderstood. We read the whole situation absolutely wrong. It wasn't God who was leading us at all. So there has been times when I was so sure I was right. I approached that issue even having the right attitude only to find out how wrong I really was. And so because I don't know what's around the corner, down the block, 
I can't see into the future. It is better simply to turn my life over to God, who does have those capacities. In fact, in the book of Psalms, we are told that we spend, as far as God is concerned, we spend our day as a tale that's been told. There's no surprises with God. When things are unfolding before our eyes in the present, God sees as if it's already happened in the past. We spend our days as a tale that's been told, as far as God is concerned. He knows how everything is going to play out, you see. And so the wisest thing to do is just to commit ourselves, our time, our energy, our choices, our decisions to the Lord. Because only he has these capacities to see the end from the beginning. You see, I'm smart enough to know now, because of all of the failures in my life, because of all of the mistakes that I've made, I want to be led by God. I want to be led in the path of his righteousness. Now, let's get into the story then. Here in our story, we have Abraham's servant seeking to find a bride for Isaac, his son. And in this journey, in the accomplishment of this task, we see him, that is the servant, being led by God. And make no mistake about it, the success of this endeavor can only be attributed to God. You have to put God behind his success. And in this, there are certain principles to discover here in regards to being led. There are certain prerequisites. There are actually four conditions. And I'm going to lay out those four conditions, and we're going to get into them in great detail. And these prerequisites, these conditions, if you will apply them in your own life's experience, you'll always find yourself being led by God. Now, do you see the reason why I suggested that this is a really significant study? I mean, we want to be in the center of God's will for our lives, right? We don't want anything left to chance. We want to receive all of God's best, right? And we don't want to be misguided by our own understanding, or rather, I should say, lack of understanding. Okay, so if you're taking notes, write these down. Here's the first condition. There was a total commitment of the servant's life to the purpose of being led by God. Notice in verses 2 and 3, let's go back to our text in chapter 24. So Abraham said to the oldest servant of his house, who ruled over that he had, Please put your hand under my thigh. And this you've got to understand this culturally. This is the way that they went about making and swearing these vows. And I will make you swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of the earth, that you will not take a wife or my son from the daughters of the Canaanites, among whom I dwell. So notice, Abraham made the servant swear an oath. Why? Because, you see, Abraham realized the difficulty of this commission. Think about what was involved here. Talking a young girl into leaving her parents, the comforts of her home, traveling with a stranger. Could you imagine in our day, in our culture, something like this happening? No way, it wouldn't happen. To travel with a stranger whom she met for the first time some 400 miles across the wilderness to marry a man she had never met before, had never seen before. And yet this is exactly what the servant swore to do. And so the servant made the vow, 
and he committed himself to the task of finding a bride in Babylon. That's where, by the way, Abraham had initially come from. When we're first introduced to Abraham, Abraham was from the land of Ur, the land of the Chaldeans. That was basically in the land of Babylon. Now, someone may be thinking, and I don't have this in my notes, but it just kind of dawned on me. Someone may be thinking, wait a second, isn't Babylon the cradle of idolatry? Isn't that where it all began? Yes. But you got to understand, remember, he's warning him not to take a wife for his son Isaac out of the land of Canaan because the Canaanites were actually worse than the Babylonians. So just to clear that confusion up in your mind, maybe some of you were, or maybe I just planted that in your mind, I don't know. But just in case you were thinking, why go back to Babylon, the cradle of idolatry, where idolatry all began. Well, anyway, so he made the vow. He committed himself to the task of finding a bride in Babylon. Now, the word here, and this is the first point, if you want to be led by God, you have to be committed to that fact. There's no other alternative. That's it. I only want to be led by God. Commitment. If you're taking notes, write that word down. Commitment. Because it's a word which I feel, unfortunately, is missing from many lives today. Think about it. It's quite a rare commodity to find people who have made a deep commitment of their lives to anything. Now, you may think at, that, at this juncture of what I've just said that I'm being really harsh about this whole thing about commitment. I'm committed. Well, I hope and I trust, and I believe that all of you are committed in your relationship with the Lord. I'm talking about the general population here. But this is so easily recognized. People aren't committed to mostly anything. This is so easily recognized in the relationship of marriage, where a commitment is so very important, and yet because of the lack of commitment, many marriages are ending in divorce. I think now the consensus is like one out of every two marriages today are ending in divorce. Listen, hard times come. Marriage isn't easy. That's why we put these marriage enrichment seminars on our calendar quarterly, because we know how hard marriage is, the marriage relationship. We know how hard it is for two distinct individuals that their lives might blend together. It's no easy thing. It takes a miracle for that to take place. So hard times come. And as Christians, guess what? You don't bail out. You make sure that you see things through. As a Christian, a divorce is not an alternative. I mean, remember the vows you made before God to love, till death parted you. Folks, that's what I refer to as commitment. Well, anyway, the servant made that type of a vow before God, and then there was a sense of responsibility to follow through. That's what commitment is. That's what commitment looks like, how we need to make a commitment. This is the way that it's going to be, that determination. So listen, if you want God to lead you, you have to be committed to that fact. Simply, God, lead me. I want you to lead me. I'm not going to consider any other alternative. I want to live the life that you have planned for me. 
But unfortunately, so many times, the commitment that people make to Jesus Christ becomes a very shallow commitment. For example, someone says, you know what? I'm going to try the Lord. You know, I heard one of my fellow employees at work talk about his relationship with God, how he gave his life to Christ, and he's a Christian, and how things are working out for him, and he seems to always be happy. And I'm faced with all of this craziness in my life and all of the problems that I'm facing. Maybe I'll try Jesus. And maybe I'll try this Christianity stuff. That's usually the way that it works itself out. I mean, after all, I've tried everything else. I might as well try Christianity. And so that person comes to a church service like this one, and at the conclusion of a message when the invitation is given, they come forward, they make a decision for Christ. And they're around for a while, and, but then all of a sudden you don't see them any longer. But then you happen to bump into them or you ring them up on the phone. Pastor Jose gives them a buzz and we get to talking as we so often do on Tuesdays. And Pastor Jose, what happened to so-and-so? And do you have their phone number or do you have her phone number or whatever? We call them, ring them up on the phone and, hey, how you doing? You know, we haven't seen you in a while. And how's your walk with the Lord been going? Well, and then they usually respond by saying something like this. You know, I tried the Lord, but that didn't work either. And that's the whole attitude towards it. Rather than them making that commitment, they're going to see things through. In spite of the fact whether or not everything has just fallen into place for them, working out the way that they hoped it would work out, just simply because they've taken the name of Christ. What's the issue? What's the real problem? They never made a real commitment to Jesus Christ. In Mark's Gospel in chapter 4, and I know that you're familiar, this is a very familiar parable that Jesus told, and it's recorded for us in Mark's Gospel in chapter 4. It's the parable of the sower and the seed. And in that story, the sower is the proclaimer of the gospel. The seed itself is the gospel. And it's planted on a variety of different soils. And because of the fact that it hasn't been placed in the correct soil, with all of the elements being conducive for that seed bearing fruit, the seed withers and dies. And so he gives us, in this story, different conditions by which, and the real issue here is the hearts of people. The gospel goes forth and it's sowed in people's hearts, because of a variety of different reasons, it never bears any fruit in that person's life. And so in this particular case, in Mark's Gospel in chapter 4, in verses 5 and 6, some fell on stony ground. And this is the Gospel now. Okay, that's the seed. The Gospel's going forth. But it fell on stony ground, where it did not have much earth. And immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth, of earth. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be. When you look back at your life, what moments stand out to you? There are probably some pretty great ones, getting married, having kids, graduations, and celebrations. But I imagine there are also a few you'd rather not remember. The ones that come back to run through your head at night as you try to fall asleep. When we take a look at the stories of some of the Genesis characters, 
We see it all, the good, the bad, and the ugly. These people you meet made their fair share of mistakes, but that didn't disqualify them from being used by God. God built a nation from human beings who were far from perfect. And guess what? He wants to use you too. God has a plan for your life, and you can faithfully follow Him in the way He has made for you. You can be forgiven of your sins and start fresh, remembering the faithfulness of God since the beginning of time. We're so glad we got to spend time with you today in the Word with Pastor Mike Venizio and In My Father's House. This program is a ministry out of Harvest Christian Fellowship in Midtown Manhattan. Check us out online at harvestnyc.org. There you'll find service times and our easy-to-find location. We have easy access from Port Authority on 42nd and Penn Station on 34th. Come by and see us. If you aren't close enough to drop by, you can find links to our online streaming and more on our website, harvestnyc.org. Again, that's harvestnyc.org. Thank you for joining us today. We're out of time for now, but come back and feast on the Word with us next time in My Father's House. Oh, my heart, not be troubled.